Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is August 26, 2015. This is episode 1632 of the Survival Podcast. And I've got a good one for you. Uh, Matt Powers has been on the show before. He's a teacher out in California at a charter school. And he is now working to put together a new educational paradigm for children based on permaculture principles uh, and getting involved in the outdoors and still learning all the fundamentals they need to learn. He's here to talk to us about that and more. Uh, we'll have him on in just a minute. Before we do that, let's go ahead and uh, take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. Uh, what are you going to get from Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason? Shockingly enough, you can get Berkey water filtration systems from Jeff because he is the Berkey guy, the actual one, the only Berkey guy. There's a lot of places you can get a Berkey, but I only know of one Berkey guy, and I only know of one person with Jeff's fanatical dedication to his customers. Absolutely beyond belief how dedicated to customer service Jeff is and to making sure everybody gets uh, what they were expecting, and if there's a problem, it gets corrected fast and properly. Uh, Jeff's been with me as a sponsor for more than five years now. That's kind of unheard of in podcasting. It's really kind of unheard of in conventional radio, if you really think about it, to have sponsors stick with somebody that long. He does a great job for this audience. I, I haven't had any real complaints about him in five years. I had one person mad, but it was well, the post office did it, and there's only so much a person can do about the post office. Um, Jeff just takes care of everybody, and he has the, some of the best pricing available because those years of great customer service have made him one of the top distributors for Berkey in the world. So he gets some really great pricing that he passes along to you. He also has a lot of other really great stuff for your prepping needs. You'll find all his Berkey stuff and all his other great stuff, like the Survival Cave line of long-term storable foods at his website, directive21.com. Again, the website for Jeff, the Berkey Guy Gleason, directive, and the number's 21, followed by a dot and a com. Check him out today, and don't be the guy that got your Berkey from the non-Berkey guy when you could deal with the original, the one and only, the true Berkey guy. Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. Next up today, sponsor of the day number two, westernbotanicals.com. Um, I am a big believer in going to herbs before going to conventional medicines, be they prescription drugs, over-the-counter, I don't care. Um, I have personally found that herbs are a more gentle way to treat uh, the acute symptoms and chronic symptoms that we all deal with on a daily basis. Now, I'm not a doctor, and I don't prescribe treatments, and I never claim to. And the people at Western Botanicals, while they are a chiropractic facility, also don't make medical recommendations. They simply provide the highest quality herbs, raw herbs, and herbal supplements, and other things like essential oils for your own use. And they're real people that really care about you, and if you pick up the phone and call them, someone in Utah, not New Delhi, will answer the phone and help you make the right decisions for yourself. That's what Western Botanicals is all about. They are a great sponsor. They have been with us a very long time, six-plus years. That is that is forever in the world of podcasting. They also have a program called their Premium Membership Program where they give a 25% discount on everything they sell. They sell that membership for $50 a year every day. If you are a member of our support brigade, you get that membership absolutely free. All you have to do is call them up, give them the code word in your MSB account, and they will set up your account for you so you can get 25% off on everything they sell. 
Some of the favorite things that I use by them are the turmeric formula. Uh, that is one of the best anti-inflammatory things that I've ever used personally for myself. Again, I can't make individual personal recommendations on it, but I can tell you that I use it and it works for me. If my back is sore and achy, if my shoulder's acting up from an old injury from the military uh, after a hard day working, I go to that. Their deep heat ointment is another great thing for that. They have a pain relief formula that uses valerian. Those are things I personally use on a regular basis. There's a lot of other really great things there. Basically, guys, if it's herbal and it's legal, you can find it at Western Botanicals, where their goal is to create an herbalist in every home, to empower you not only to use their formulas, but to give you the raw herbs and the ingredients you need to make your own herbal formulations, including how to use the herbs from your own backyard and then get the parts for the formulation you need from them and the extra materials and the knowledge from them. You can get everything at westernbotanicals.com. Check them out today. Again, westernbotanicals.com. And if you're an MSB member, do not forget to get your premium membership 25% off everything they sell every day of the year. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. The year being 1632, because uh, the episode is 1632. I've got some notable events uh, in this this uh, this entry, but only one main entry from Alex Shrug, and I'm going to talk about that one in a minute. But I'm going to read the notable events. The Maryland Charter is awarded. The English colonize Antigua and Barbuda. The Taj Mahal is commissioned. And Galileo publishes his Two Worlds Dialogue that compares the Copernicus system with the old system. He has the permission of the Inquisition, who will then forget they gave him permission. Don't mess with the church. I mean the state. I mean the church. I mean the state. Got it? Anyway, let's read. It smells like the new world. What could that be about? A Dutch merchant writes that he can smell the new world before he can see it. This comes from all the smoke from burning fires. The Indian tribes maintain the forest by burning the undergrowth and clearing wide lanes for travel. They are so diligent in their work, many colonists will comment about the park-like lands. In fact, they will notice there's nothing natural about the forest at all. This will be a complimentary observation. My take by Alex Shrug, the Indians were keeping the underbrush down to allow game to flourish and keep forest fires manageable. Was that natural? No, it was a human system that used nature as a tool rather than an enemy to overcome, but there was nothing natural about it in the modern sense. Some intellectuals see the American Indian as the noble savage, the idealization of primitive man, that is, a man as animal in his purest state. Idealists on the left fight to keep the Eskimo in a primitive environment when Eskimos would like nice warm houses and some decent schools for their kids. On the right, you get... Reality shows of hard, callous men and women taking on Alaskan wilderness. What's the difference? On the right, you choose your challenges. On the left, they choose your challenges for you, whether you like them or not. The Indians and Eskimos are protected groups, but along with benefits came some very long strings. I've danced with Indians. It's a wondrous culture, but it is one thing to keep one's culture alive because it is just flat-out cool. It is another to keep it alive to please some aging leftist hippie who likes handmade rugs. There are a lot of good things to learn from our past, but if it's all the same to you, I'll keep running water, flush toilets, and a forest that doesn't burst into flames every time a car backfires. Yeah, I, I don't completely disagree, and I don't completely agree with Alex at all. Um, not being an intellectual leftist liberal, uh, I still am a, a naturalist. And I do look at the way that that human beings as Native Americans maintained our forest actually as natural. That's where I disagree with this. I think that is actually a completely natural function, and I'll explain what I mean. Um, ants build a great big ant nest. They use that area for a time, and eventually the colony abandons it or it dies off one way or the other. 
there's now this pile of soft earth, and there's this huge network of tunnels, and there's old stores, ant bodies, dead eggs, all kinds of stuff down in there. Bird flies through the air, takes a dump. Bird turd falls to the ground. Inside the bird turd is a seed from a tree. The seed, encased in the bird manure, poofs into the dust of the ant bed and goes in just a little bit and sits through the winter, goes through stratification, and in spring, when it becomes warm, encased in a perfect little nitrogen coating, erupts into the new growth of a sapling, growing very, very rapidly as the roots plunge into the, the, the concaves and, and tunnels of the ants, reaching down and getting deeper in the earth faster than it could have normally, and then begins to feast on all of the remains of the ants' colony, the dead eggs, the dead bodies, the old stores, all of this uh, material down there that serves as fertilizer, propelling this tree to double its growth in the first year, and in five years a mighty new tree stands that grew on the abandoned home of the ants. Is that natural? Is that a natural function of the environment? I think most people would say, absolutely, that is a natural function of the environment. So when human beings interact with the environment, we then say it's not natural. Well, I'm sorry, this is my planet too. My species evolved here just like the ant did, just like the bird did, and just like the tree did. I think when we actually engage with natural systems in a natural way, with the elements and tools that are available to us, with the end in mind, the way an ant builds a nest, with an understanding at a higher level, we don't want to destroy what's here, we are being natural. I think that actually, if, if, if Alex is correct, and intellectuals want to say that primitive man was the closest thing to the pure animal man in its pure state, in that one piece of that, they're kind of correct. And that my biggest problem with referring to Native Americans as the noble savage is the savage part. I actually despise that term, noble savage, because of the savage part. There is no place for people from Europe to refer to the Native Americans ever as a savage when we had things like the 30 Years' War, the 80 Years' War, etc., the Crusades. We were far more savage in how we dealt with our fellow man than the people in this country, this continent did before we got here. And they had a remarkable amount of sustainability, regenerative systems, and stability in a system one can only look at and call basically an anarchist system, as it had no central authority, tribes were voluntary associations, you could leave, and systems were allowed to be worked out with territories on natural cultural boundaries. I can actually show you some systems and some cultures far more anarchistic, six of them, I'll save that for a show next week for you, than the Native American cultures, but in the definition of anarchism, in the, 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 the mindset of the art of not being governed, this was an anarcho-continent when we got here. We referred to it as savage because of that, not because of what the people chose to do with their freedom. Because they did not conform to what we felt was proper authority, that of the state and that of our chosen church. So my problem with savage is the, the word savage should never been of apl applied to the people that lived here before we came. 
and I do believe that their actions were as close to a natural interaction that human beings could have in most areas at the time that we started settling here in the New World. That's not true of everything that Native Americans did in the North and Southern and Central continents. There were some real feats of, of engineering that I would say are not natural um, that resulted in collapsed civilizations even before we got here. But the type of thing Alex is talking about here, again, dramatically stable. And the only thing that really screwed it up for him is we came over here and started sneezing, crapping, and spreading germs and disease, and then spread other things. My take by Jack Spearco. Uh, next up, let's go ahead and... Uh, Remind you guys real quick about the Member Support Brigade. If you love the work we do here and you want us to keep doing it forever, the way you can make that happen is become a member of the Members Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll get discounts on things you're probably buying anyway, from guns to gardens and everything in between. Uh, over $200 worth of ebooks you can download on day one, some video content that's available nowhere else. Every episode of the Survival Podcast ever produced in convenient zip files, all the way back to episode one. We've got a lot going on there for you at 18.3 cents an episode. Guys and gals, if you get off the air today and think, you know what, this show's worth 20 cents, and you're not an MSB member, think about joining. Another benefit of, of being an MSB member is you get first crack at coming to our events Uh, I want to let you know that I do have a, an update on the blog today um, about the event that we're having in October and also letting everybody know that the, um, the November event will open for registration uh, next week on Monday. The reason the MSB ties into this is I usually give MSB members two days to, to, to take a seat at the event um, before I open it to the general public. This last time, as often happens, I gave Monday and Tuesday, and by Wednesday, there was no space available. So if you want to come to an event, being an MSB member, you almost always will get your opportunity. Um, it took like 30 hours. So anybody that really wanted to come had an opportunity to, to get a seat to the October event. But the November event opens Monday. Next up, I want to let you guys know that uh, Matthew over at My Thai Coffee is one of our great uh, MSB supporting vendors. MSB members get 10% off everything at Mai Tai Coffee. Has another shipment in of the Honey Process Coffee. Uh, honey Process Coffee doesn't actually have any honey in it. It's a unique way to process coffee. It's a special roast where the water bath stage is skipped and allows the coffee to take on a unique flavor. Features a smooth and mellow flavor and a low acid coffee compared to conventional coffee. Now look guys, I don't know what the water bath stage is. I have no idea what I just said. I don't know what it means. I haven't cared enough to figure it out. What I can tell you is this is some of the most fantastic coffee. It's smoky and smooth, mellow and earthy. It's become my new favorite. Uh, I think they got 40 pounds in. And uh, you can get over to Mai Tai and get it. Uh, the last time he had 48 pounds in, and I bought, like, I don't know, 10. And then I put this out in, like, two hours. It sold out. So if you want to get some of this, I don't know how often they're going to be able to get this in. I don't know what makes it hard to get or whatever, uh, but it's some really good stuff. Last, I want to let you guys know that are coming to the October event that I have booked uh, a music talent for that show Saturday night from 8.30 to 10.30. We will be listening to a guy named Cole Reisner. This guy is fantastic. He really is fantastic. And I'm actually right now, just kind of a, as a thing for everybody, I'm going to play a song called The Grandfather Song by Cole uh, to let you know what you'll be, uh, you'll be you know, seeing live. Uh, but I think everybody will enjoy this. And there is a link to his website where you can hear more of his music uh, in the post that I did today that I'll also have a link to in today's show notes for you. But again, this is uh, Cole Reisner with The Grandfather Song. Let's set the mood for a great show and uh, 
You know, this is a guy with original music. Check this out, guys. I will shine my shoes this morning Cause I'm going to a funeral They will lay rest my grandfather Cause it's time for him to go home My granddaddy was a rough man He did it cause he had a kid on the way He was never too much into religion But it worked like he owed it to God He smoked since He was a little kid It was the only way he could kill the pain Then he woke one morning and said I ain't doing this no more And it was gone like a sweet Texas rain I will shine my shoes this morning Cause I'm going to a funeral They will lay to rest my grandfather Cause it's time for him to go home His heart couldn't stay broken anymore I will shine my shoes this morning Cause I'm going to a funeral They will lay to rest my grandfather Cause the time I'll tell you what, guys, what I'm excited about with having this guy play here, um, 
at, at the October event, and if things go well, maybe the November event too. Isn't just that he's good. It's that he's writing original music and actual original music. That didn't sound like the things that are on the radio over and over and over again. Um, if you really want to get an understanding of how, how far music has fallen, including country music, uh, look up a guy called Sir Mash a lot and look for a, a, a song where it's six songs played at the same time. I'll, I'll find it on YouTube and put it in today's show notes and, and contrast that with what you just heard. Um, I think this guy's really great. I'm looking forward to having him here at the uh, TSP Ranch Nine Mile Farm and uh, having you guys meet him. Hopefully he'll be having uh, dinner with us before he plays. We've told him he's welcome to do so. And uh, Shane, who uh, recommended this guy to me, thank you very much. Uh, really appreciate the recommendation. And uh, we did reach out to Cole, and my wife got him officially booked uh, for the October event yesterday. So you guys that are coming... You're going to get to hear some great music Saturday night to finish off the event. And this is just one more example of what I'm trying to do to make these events even better than they've ever been. Those of you who have been here know I'm setting a high bar for myself. I hope to see a bunch of you guys here in November as well. Remember, uh, we're opening up the uh, registration for November on Monday. With that, let's get into our show today with Matt Powers. Uh, Matt is a uh, an author, an educator, and permaculturist, seed saver, innovator, and family guy from California, working to create a new paradigm in education aligned to real life, permaculture, nature, and small business, while including families and mixed age groups. He's here to talk to about uh, to talk to us about all of that and more. Hey, Matt, man, welcome to back to the Survival Podcast. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me back. Hey, man, I'm glad to have you back. But uh, for folks that maybe didn't catch your first interview with us, can you tell people a little bit about you know what you're doing professionally right now, how you got into it, and kind of how life led you to that, and uh, how you ended up in in a, in a public school teaching permaculture principles? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It actually has uh, kind of propelled me even out of public school into a online program for for all ages, for K through 12, for and I'm hoping to to help schools with it as well, um, but I totally kind of went rogue. But to begin <laughs> at the beginning, I I started getting into um, clean food initially because my wife got cancer, and she got thyroid cancer, and they removed her um, her thyroid, and then three months later she got uh, melanoma, which is skin cancer. And it kind of like flipped everything um, that I knew on its head. And I was like this happy-go-lucky. I'm still happy-go-lucky, but that's besides the point. Um, I was like this, you know, this jovial, like, bass-playing, touring musician that didn't have to think too hard about life. And um, I had this – I had a really good education, actually. And so when this happened, um, I asked a lot of questions and didn't, I wasn't satisfied with the answers the doctors gave me, nor was I satisfied with the, um, emotional reactions they had. Like, uh, for instance, I asked them, um, if there was any connection to the radiation treatment that ablated her thyroid and the melanoma cancer that was on a place where like, you know, you're not going to be sunning, you know, um, part of her body that, that, that got it. Uh, so it just didn't make any sense to me because it, I heard, you know, it's, it comes from, from tanning or from being in the sun. You get some, you skin cancer. And so the doctor just, um, they wouldn't meet my eye. They were really awkward. And then I started asking about, like, 
the radiation hack. How radioactive is it? When is the half-life? You know, I started asking hard questions and they didn't have any answers. And I was like, wait a second. Why don't you guys have answers? And it started like freaking me out. And on top of being so freaked out about my wife um, having cancer, and we had a young son, and you know it was a very emotional time. When you're when you have your first child, there's this like vulnerability as a father that you have, where you're forming into the father you'll be. And so it like hit me like a train wreck in that time period, um, and it formed me into the person who I am. And it's part of me as a dad with this whole permaculture thing. I see it as part of my family life. And it's because I wanted to make real, legitimately provable, clean food. And even organic, there was this whole swing. And then how do you test for things? There's kind of all this uncertainty and all this debate. And then when I discovered, when I started really discovering people who were scientists that were doing gardening, like Elaine Ingham and Carol Depp with the Resilient Gardener, um, I really got into it. And then I saw all these people saying they were permaculturists. And I was like, what is that? And I got, and I, and, and you know what the crazy thing was? I was doing compost teas. I was doing all these permaculture things, not in a connected or designed way. And I found permaculture and I was like, what? This is it, you know, and, and I started running with it and it changed my life and I felt like it needed to be part of curriculum. And so I started adapting all my curriculum. Uh, I was an English teacher uh, in high school and I taught for four years in a context where we only had laptops and all the teachers had the opportunity to write the curriculum from scratch. Um, we had great support for uh, the first uh the first few years I was there, we had great support to do anything. So I got, I went crazy. I gave the, I did the whole John got John Taylor got to thing. Gave the kids a, a whole month off, pushed them to go um, and shadow real professionals in the things that they actually were interested in. Um, got in so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you know, last time I was on the day I got off, I got in trouble. Like, wow. like the, like the day, like with the Friday, we, we did our interview on Thursday. I got, I got in trouble and you know, it's funny. It's just, it's nothing real, like substantive. Like my son was there at the school while they were doing some state testing. And apparently a parent said that it was just too inappropriate because state testing is just so important. They can't have any distractions there. And so they banned, um, banned him from the school. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, you're going to ban an eight-year-old from your high school because you were worried about your test grade on a standardized test that was testing you on seventh grade standards as a 10th grader. Mm-hmm. Man, that's your priorities. You've got other priorities other than my son to worry about. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, we're kind of getting on something I want to make sure that as we go through this stuff today, we talk about, like, you have this new model to help people learn. I think it's great. I hope people use it. I hope it attracts a, a big following. But I think what we're really stating here is that, that you have a, a way for kids to learn and that there are probably dozens or hundreds of better ways for kids to learn. And we need all of those options for people because the system we have is just archaic and it's just a disaster when everybody's obsessed about one thing, the, the, the best grades and test scores that a school can put out. Because if that's really the, 
you know, the agenda than just make the test easier. Oh, wait a minute. That's what they keep doing. That's exactly. That's why it's called Common Core, because they're working on, they're focusing on getting things to be an average score. Not the highest. They don't want that. Not the lowest. That's trouble. That looks bad. That shuts your school down. Yeah. Everyone to just be run of the mill. Have you ever seen uh, a movie that was made in the 90s based on a Kurt Vonnegut uh, novel called Harrison Bergeron? No. I know we're off topic here a little bit, but Harrison Bergeron is like in a dystopian future, actually not very far from right now. I think it's around 2050. Uh, but the, the, the novel was written in the 60s, and the movie was made in the 90s. And it really never got anywhere, but the whole thing looks like the 1950s because after the third American or the second American Revolution, right, everybody decided that was when everybody was happy. So everything goes to the 50s. And everybody's made equal by handicap. So oh, I've heard of this. Everybody has this band around their head and they adjust your band frequency till you're average, right? And then if you are stupider than average, they do what they can to get you up to average, but if you don't get there, oh well. And if somebody's too smart, the system decides who who is who's to be put together as man and wife and reproduce. So they give the people that have a little too much trouble being suppressed that are too a little too smart, really stupid people to breed with to, to amalgamate everything. The president and the government is selected out of the phone book at random. And the whole thing is based on the concept that there's this group of people that Harrison actually becomes part of eventually who kind of keep everything from falling apart but yet stay out of the way of the will of the people. And it's 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 scary when you watch it today. And some of the things that you, you hear the people say in it in the 90s hadn't quite happened yet. And it's so stellarly accurate, the political correctness, the uh, homogenization of today, that it's just, it's freaky. And you can't get this thing on DVD. It's on VHS. Sometimes you can find it. But the only place you can actually find it and watch it is on YouTube. And uh, I'll put a link in the show notes today. But it is, it's kind of what you're talking about. We want everybody equaled. You know, like there's a guy on TV in this thing that he's dancing, and he's like a really great dancer, so they put a weight on his leg. And there's like a golf match going on, and the better golfers have like clubs that are wonky that kind of flip around to make everything equal. And and that's what it seems like we're doing with our school system. We want everybody to get the same grade, whatever that grade ends up being. Maybe it's a B. I don't know. Right. And so I believe that this averageness leads to a dependence upon, you know, whether it's corporatocracy or or the state or entertainment or it doesn't matter but it's this dependence this idea that you need approval and i disagree with it all and what i discovered i discovered all these amazing things as a public school teacher because it was it was allowed at my school for it to be an active laboratory so i discovered that kids learn best when they follow the curiosity kids learn best when they're doing things that are hands-on that make a lasting difference in their lives their family's lives their friends and their community and when I realized that, I was like, wait a second. So in other words, kids could be doing the things that make our, our communities sustainable, ethical, and run without any of all this nonsense and hoopla. Isn't that what we were supposed to do initially? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So this has all led you to found something you're calling the Permaculture Life School. What is that? Well, you know, actually, I went back on the name. The Permaculture Life School was the school I started in Sebastopol 
that uh, didn't get enough students to pay for their rent because the festival is such high rent. But everyone there knows permaculture. They're just really busy. And they all said they wanted an online option. And so I'm actually including all those families from the Permaculture Life School as participants in different workshops. So it's kind of been compartmentalized into the greater, the Permaculture Student Online, which is based upon the books that I wrote. Uh, the permaculture student uh, textbook and workbook, which were the Kickstarter that I did that got like 299% of the goal. And it was, it was incredible. It, that's actually where I earned as much money as I make as a teacher um, <laughs> in one year and 30 days. Yeah. Isn't it funny? Um, so, so you've kind of evolved this into something new. So how's, how's that work now? Um, so how does that work now is that I'm, I've modeled it loosely after what Jeff did with his online permaculture design course. And Jeff is my mentor. I talk to him and his son regularly about things. I have all this help from people like Rose and support from people like Rosemary Morrow and Elaine Ingham. And then I have six to seven years. I mean, depending if you count my year training, um, working with children in classrooms, uh, with, like digital classrooms, online classrooms. So I've taken all of that knowledge and all of the ways that I've discovered people learn best through my master's degree and also through my work experimenting in a charter school that told you to create things from scratch. Um, I've created an online program that is all ages, that is teacher's guides, that it progresses as you progress, that you can reuse multiple times, that is video-based, that is pattern literacy based. So you have like coloring pages that correlate to the theme of that. You know, ad- adults can color. There's this whole thing that's going on right now. <laughs> and, and, and we have, uh, recipes. I'm teaching people how to cook because I feel like teaching someone how to garden is a piece. You got to teach them how to seed save. You got to teach them how to cook it all. And then you have to teach them how to preserve it. Yeah. And I think the other thing we have to like, do better, a better job of with the whole permaculture, farmsteading, homesteading, all of it together. Just clean food like you started out describing it. It is like also instilling a value in it, even if it comes from somewhere else. And what I mean by that is we'd all love to have backyards that produce everything we need, but we all probably go to the store like every week. Um, but we could be sourcing better foods if we started working together and knowing how to cook and knowing how to formulate things it is really a great way to do that. I was just talking the other day on the air here about how we've been talking about developing enough mint to start doing tea blends as for, for our customers. And I realized, like, okay, well, that's a year out at least before I have enough volume to do it where it's repeatable. And then I'm realizing there's all these great places that I can source pounds of mint, literally for pennies to the ounce. And if you understand the, the, the process that you're saying, like cooking or formulation, then you don't necessarily have to provide everything for yourself. You can provide some of what you need and, and place a higher value. So we start to build an economy on these better quality items. Right. And I also think that kids are our motivation. So these things that seem like they're difficult, like, oh, I've got to take this peppermint patch and separate it out into basically like plugs. And then I'm going to spread this out over this entire hill. Anyone can do that. Any child can do that. Sure. And you have a show to produce. You can't do that. 
Yeah. But, but you better believe the neighborhood, you know, kids can do that. It's like you take half, take it home and do it for yourself. Yeah, and then you start teaching them things like plant propagation. And, and then people say, well, where's the core elements of our education? Okay, well, we're talking about biology. We're talking <laughs> about chemistry. We're talking about botany. We're talking about history. We're talking about uh, science in the form of medicinal uses. I mean, how much core curriculum can, be com can come off of something like herbs, mint, and a garden and cooking? I'm so passionate about this, Jack. I am so passionate about this. We have to talk about things that are real. That, 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 that mint is real and that piece of paper with a bunch of numbers and abstractions that have nothing to do with real life are, oh, are horrible. They're horrible for us. You know what we were watching last night to me that just proves your case, my case, and everybody that's starting to think this way's case. We were watching that, that game show with, uh, Jeff Foxworthy, smarter than a fifth grader. Yeah. And I'm watching this woman last night who was very smart that, that had a PhD and was a professor at a university, not be able to answer some of the questions the kids could at a fourth and fifth grade level. And does that mean that person is stupid? Absolutely not. There's no way this woman was stupid. I mean, when they had stupid, it was when they had Kelly Pickler on. I digress. But <laughs> this lady was smart, but she didn't know the answer to a, a few of these questions. And, and, and my statement to my wife is, do you? And she goes, no. And she goes, well, do you? And I'm like, okay, well, I have that freak ridiculous stupid memory so yeah but my point is this phd lady doesn't know you don't know it's never affected your life or her life we're making these kids memorize bullshit for the sake of memorizing bullshit busy work yeah i mean that's all it comes down to like this lady's a phd prof holding professor at a major university and they're asking her questions about history and she's like a, a american literature teacher So she has plenty of historical context and it doesn't just, I don't remember that fact. You know why? It ain't important. That's why. It doesn't really matter. That's right. And you're talking about getting our kids learning what does matter because where you, your food comes from matters and how you heal yourself matters and how you preserve your health matters and how you deal with other people. These things matter. And I just feel, and you tell me if I'm wrong because I know I'm a bit biased, but that stuff is just absent in public education. Right, and it's a handbook for Earth. It's like how to be a good citizen of the Earth. Let's let's give you the handbook. Let's let's introduce you to that, and that should happen in the family. It should happen in the home, and we've been untrained. So, of all the people who could be doing this, why you, and and why now? So, I have the online training for for years in that in that public charter school, and why now? I feel like. And I felt this for a while that we're already on like the, 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 the side of the ball where we're, we're on the, 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 the slipping side and we're going to lose our balance. I feel like now is the time where we all need to be doing whatever our skill set lends itself to do that is ethical and regenerative. And I realized for myself that doing permaculture was the only way that I could do that. And I have the skill set. I have this two acre farm that I put in myself. With my son. And, and the cool thing was Oliver just absorbed it by being there, the four-year-old. Um, but James actually can articulate. He could set up his own farm and he's only eight. And that's what proved it for me. I was like, wow, all right. Well, if the four-year-old can like, you know, you know, repeat things and then do things and mime things because he knows what they are and why they're positive. That's great. But the fact that an eight-year-old could start a business himself, 
goes back to like what, you know, historical context has shown where you have, you know, that Navy admiral that said, damn the torpedoes, you know, uh, ram the ship, right? It's like that guy started his career in the Navy at age nine, got distinction at age 12. Um, the capacity of our kids is like greater than we could possibly understand. And it's something that we're distracted from even comprehending because they're doing busy work. And we're like, well, you got an A. That's the ceiling you could hit. Great. And then like at, we're, we're, we're overworked. Both parents are overworked. And we need to take back our resources and the way we allocate them. And, and like I said, clean. We need to figure, and, and I think it's all, it's a holistic problem, like education, food, we we manage our properties, and it requires a holistic answer. And so I think that this, this what I can do with my course, what it's, what's different from Jeff Lawton's course, Jeff Lawton is like in-depth permaculture design. Sure. What I'm going to do is I'm going to teach kids how, like, how to have a core set of skills that allow them to be good stewards of the earth, that allow them to cook food that they've grown, preserve food, to understand how to set up an entire garden and farm and animal system themselves and to actually do it and to have someone who can coach them through it, the problems, problem solve, and have a community of support. And I think parents really need their kids to be excited about this to get it, to get at these things actually done because parents all over the world are excited about permaculture but can't take off enough time to do it or can't find someone to help them do it and it's their kids that's the answer well I definitely think it's the kids that are the answer because a lot of the parents are too entrenched in in dogma to actually break free of it at this point but yet they know it's wrong and I think there's enough of them out there to say you know what get my kids out before they end up where I am because I see other parents literally ready to explode from stress and debt and shoving their kids into into the future that is their own life as though they're doing the right thing because they can't see, you know, the forest for the for the trees. And I also think you hit on something very important with the grades too, like, you know, the A thing and and like the the, the mark of excellence and the students that can make A's, the students that can do every, you know, get 100 on every test, etc. They end up with a completely twisted view of things as well. My niece recently um, went with her parents and my nephew up to Kansas to, you know, kind of move my my nephew into the dorms for his first, you know, year of college. So she missed the first day of school. So she was upset about it. And I thought, well, maybe she's upset because, you know, the first day, it's kind of a social thing. You, you, you know, groups already start to form or whatever. But she's been in the same school her whole life. She's got her friends. It's not that big. So what was she upset about? She was upset. Get this. Because it would be the first year that she wouldn't get an award at the end of the year for perfect attendance. That's a problem. I'm thinking, you know, why do we even value getting an award for showing up every day? That's a why do we give an award for showing up every day? Other than to beat into people's heads that it's important that you be here. Well, all right. So this is sad, but it's money. Because and it, and it almost would be like better if it was like obedience because we could like fight that. But yeah, just it's money. It's a hundred dollars a day for uh, for uh, for money from the government per per kid. So that's why tardies are like like affect minutes. That's why late. Oh. Like that's why they're so uh, that's why they're so crazy and detentions and all these things because they need to require minutes per child. So it's like oh you missed that many minutes, give them detention. We got to get those minutes back. So then they were there. They were at the school. That's 
That is sick, actually. That is a sick, twisted system that we're in. I actually believe that we're watching this system die right now. I don't know if you agree with that, but I think we are. I think enough. there's enough advancement in technology and enough awareness now that people are starting to question it. And yeah, real skills. It's a, little, it's a little tiny remnant, a little thread of people doing it, but that's how this shit always starts. And once they start dragging on a thread, and you see the, like, the, the ugliness underneath. It's over, and I think it's going to happen like, It's happening, it's happening, it's happening. Nobody believes it, nobody believes it. And then it's going to be like, boom, it's going to be like a five-year period where it's just decimated. I hope it's got to happen. I mean, real skills must be valued because if we don't value them with our children and in our families, how can we expect them to be expressed in our economy and in our government? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think it's important that people understand that not it's not neither you nor I are suggesting we stop teaching children basic mathematics. You're basic. No, we're talking. We're talking about this course is in addition to a regular homeschool education. You could be doing unschooling, and that's laudable. I've seen, I've seen in my own family, um, my son not not use a, a like a math textbook for like six, seven months and then pick it up with something he was struggling with when he left off, like the cutting edge of his understanding in math. Pick it up, laugh about it, and then fill it out for like five pages and be like, this is dumb, and throw it down. <laughs> and it's like, what is going on? What does that mean? Does that mean his brain just was like able to do it because it got bigger or he's just more mature or because he's more relaxed? I, you know, I don't understand. And at the same time, it's like, I don't think I really need to understand because when he needs to, he's going to rise to the challenge. And that's, I mean, that's what separates people is people who have the ability to feel that they can. And those people have done things and have real skills. And that's why in my family, my dad had us learn to ski starting age two. And so we have a skill that we know that we can do that we feel 100% confident in. And it's real. It's tangible. It is not a grade that is given to you. It is not something that can be given to you. It is something intrinsic to who you are. And I, I just believe it so strong in my heart that if we can teach kids how to be self-reliant, that the this epidemic of like depression and self-esteem, whatever label you want to attach to it, it's really a lack of skills and them actually knowing it. To be perfectly honest, they re- they, they they realize. These kids realize they're being held in a prison. They realize that their skills are empty. They realize that it's just a numbers game that's about money and status. And it depresses the heck out of them. You know, you hit a word there that I think a lot of people get jostled by and they don't want to believe it. They don't want to accept it or they just think you're nuts when you use it. But it, it scares the shit out of me. You know, I sit at home and I watch some of these, these, uh, these prison shows, right? The prisons and jail shows. And there is, there is not really a comparison when you see like, you know, where the meth dealers and the, and the, and the murderers and the rapists are kept, especially when they first go in compared to the schools. That, that comparison's a little bit too much. But when you watch those shows and they show you like these, uh, like the programs I think we should be getting more of those guys into, uh, that, that are designed to start giving them more freedom and getting them ready to go home. And you look at the way they're held in those like minimum security situations, with the exception that they don't all go home at three o'clock. It looks so much like a public school, and the food looks like public school food. Uh, the interactions, the clicks, all of it looks so similar. It scares the shit out of me to think I put my kid through that for for twelve years. 
Yeah. It, yeah, it just and I don't, wants and me, man. I don't mean to demean. I didn't mean to demean the 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 pain that um, some people go through when they have family members go through prison or if they have to go through prison. You know, I don't mean to demean that by comparing it to public school in any any capacity. No, I know you don't mean that. And really, that's not that's not what you're saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you know you can have a prison that really sucks. You can have a prison that sucks. You can have a prison that sucks a lot, a little, and you can have a prison that's really, really like the best kind of prison you can make. But guess what? It's still a prison. True. And that's how we're running the schools. It's not that the schools are prisons, it's that we're running them a lot like prisons. And I think what's going on is we're more and more going to see the people who run private prisons are going to be running the schools, <laughs> the charters. Um, and that's what's really scary. I mean, there's this whole thing uh, in Waiting for Superman, this documentary about schools, and it talks about how Harlem literally has the, the people who build prisons track how many Fs there are in fourth and fifth grade. And that tells them the numbers. For what, you know what I mean? It's a school-to-prison pipeline for a lot of this. And so we need to break that. And, and there's uh, some amazing work being done. Um, oh, shoot, her name eludes me at this moment. There's amazing work being done. Uh, Pandora is her name. And she is working with prisoners who are being released and using permaculture and real skills to change them and change their lives, and change their perspective. And it is through real skills that people find grounding. They find peace. Well, I think another big thing we need, so like I do watch a lot of these these, these prison documentaries and stuff, and what what troubles me the most is seeing a guy that actually gets his shit together, does the best that he can, gets gets out, and then says, I need a chance, right? And no one will hire him to do anything. He can't get a job as a waiter, you know, uh, at a diner. And, you know, he's got his parole officer up his rear end and all. And sooner or later, he ends up back in prison. And it's usually not because he went and knocked off a bank or something. It's usually because he got drunk, you know, and passed out in the street or failed a blood test for, for using drugs or something. And it's the guy trying to cope with the fact that you've, you set me free, but my freedom is now such that no one will give me a chance. But if we start teaching people entrepreneurial skills, then those types of people can – because. No one really cares if you have a prison record when they're buying a watermelon from you on the street. You know, and I think you maybe need to be a little more sophisticated than that, but I'm trying to make a point here that there's all kinds of small businesses we deal with every day and you don't walk in and ask the owner like, "Can I see your rap sheet before I, you know, buy this this bag of tea or whatever?" And we're just not empowering people to where if they do screw something up in their life, they can come back and 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 change it for the better and be rehabilitated like we say that we want them to. And The fact that you're telling me they're forecasting prison numbers based on grades, if that doesn't prove the system is busted, I I don't know what does. So when you were talking about him being released, that really reminds me of graduation. (laughs) And when people graduate from high school, they tend to just, they turn 18. And in our region, that means the parents are no longer responsible for them. So some of them get pushed out of the home. And they have no choices and they end up like in the hills and obviously they do bad things. And so, yeah, that's the thing is, and, and this is part of the reason why I can't participate in public school any longer. And I must do this online program to supplement public schoolers, homeschoolers, families, individuals. It doesn't really matter. I feel that I have to do this because they come out of school with nothing, it, it, especially if they come out with like, lower grades, mm. especially yeah, sure. in important subject areas. Well, and I think that 
So when you come out of school with a high school diploma right now, it doesn't do much for you. Not having one can work against you, no doubt, but it doesn't really open any doors. It just doesn't, you know, the fact that you do have one doesn't really close any. So everybody's pushed to go to college now, which just is a continuation of the same system. Um, if you look at degrees, there's some degrees out there that a person comes out with. They probably have a place to go. Software engineering, you know, computer programming, things like that, uh, and, and plenty of other ones. But there's a whole litany of degrees these kids come out with that qualify them to do absolutely nothing. Right. And that's the thing is nothing. It's all abstraction, built upon abstraction. And we're worshiping these simulacra, uh, uh, you know what I mean, these like copies of a copy on the Internet. And it's like, yeah, you built it on a computer, which is a copy of a rea- an idea in your head. And you put it on the Internet, which is copy of the copy, and everyone worships that. And it's like, where's the skill? Where's the real ability to interact with the world that you were born into? Yeah, um, I was I was watching Shark Tank. And there was a company on there, this was from a while ago, I don't remember the name of it now, uh, but it was basically like an eBay for notes, um, like where people could buy and sell their, their class notes. Oh. And, 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 and like, you know, there was like one of the sharks was really, like everybody was interested except one who was really like morally outraged by like this is legalizing cheating or whatever. And like, you know what, the fact that, I could buy notes from you that are relevant to my course, and those notes are more valuable to me than the course itself. That's not an indictment of you selling me your notes. That's an indictment of the course. Right. That means that if, if the teacher, if, if what's in those notes actually helps me pass the course, then that's what I should be getting in the first place. Right, and that's the problem is that we, we've created a, a system that is designed to – All right, so we're training people to conceal weakness rather than display strength. So you take these tests and they, 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 they give you a score when you answer like a multiple choice question. They teach you to like round down. So you're like, well, those two can't be right. Then you have three left and you're like, well, which one is the most right? And then you, and, and they like train you to be test smart. And all those test smart skills really are, are a way to conceal your lack of understanding. But if we actually had people performance-based, which requires a skill to be involved, right? If things were performance-based, then we would actually have an accurate way to grade people. And if we had it in a way that could play back so the person themselves could be part of the discussion where they were grading them, that would be incredible. But, you know, these kind of things are much more individualized and take more time. And also are hard for the teacher because they can't, they don't get to be authoritarian. That's one of the things that, you know, I, I mean, I, I never used homework, uh, in, at school. I, I would create things and offer them and kids would do them, but choice based. I mean, that's how you get everyone to do things with actual intent. It's like, if you want to do it, you'll do it for real. But if you're forced to do it, you're always going to do it with a part of yourself and never all of yourself. And that's why, and that's why I just had to get out of it and I had to get into something that was ethical and completely ethics based. How are things actually going with what you're doing? Like where, where are you at in the kind of progression with this and, uh, where do you see things heading with your model? Okay. So I've created the, the model for the first course that pairs with the book that I wrote, the permaculture student one. That was a Kickstarter that I just did. It's about to be um, released on hard copy. It's been released on e- e- ebook for about 
three, three to four weeks now. And sales are going really well with that. Uh, everyone's kind of aware, I think, that it's going to be turned into an online course that the textbook will pair with. So we're getting signups now, enrollments open. We have about three weeks left before we start September 15th. I'm going, I'm going to be doing uh, a bunch of conferences before there then to advertise and talk about it. Uh, I'll be doing the Heirloom Expo in Santa Rosa. I'll be speaking at that and doing educational fun day activity. And then we're going to be on, I'm going to be talking at the Soil Not Oil uh, conference. That's one inspired by Vandana Shiva. And then I'm going to be doing an online conference called Tierra Online, which is about soil and gardening. So getting the word out there, there's signups that are happening and the books are, the books are steadily selling, which is really exciting. There's still ebooks. Um, the, the physical copies are still, are still en route. Um, they're being shipped to me right now. So I'm not doing pre-orders. I, I like to have them in my hands before I say I can get, <laughs> before I can say officially that I can sell them to someone. Um, so it's going really well. I'm, I think the thing was, so I did this Indiegogo for the Permaculture Life School, and we almost made our goal. We bought this teepee with the funds, and every single backer, like, contacted me afterwards and was like, you're going to film this, right? Turn it into an online course and allow me to take it, correct? (laughs) And I was like, oh, well, now I am. (laughs) And and so at the end of that campaign, I was very certain that was going to be an online program. And then I opened up the, the, the sign-up for the local class and we got, we got several families, but it wasn't enough to pay rent in Sebastopol, California. And if you guys have the time, you can look up the land prices in Sebastopol, California and you'll understand. And the thing is, the only reason I was going to move there and do all that is because everyone there knows the word permaculture. And so it's a good, it was a good fit. It just, they're also so busy. Um, they're, they mostly work in San Francisco. So they want their kids to take these programs and they have a house there. They just didn't work out. And so I just did what all the people asked me. And the crazy thing was, I mean, this, this Indiegogo was, was in a way much more humbling for me than the Kickstarter. The Kickstarter was so unexpected and exciting. Um, cause we made so much money so fast the, the, the Indiegogo took a lot more work. And then the people who donated didn't ask for, um, mostly didn't ask for, uh, perks. They, um, donated just to donate. Mm. Um, and that was, um, really, um, it's kind of an emotional thing when people give, at least for me, when, when they give you money and don't ask for anything in return. And so I felt this, and when they told me they wanted to do an online program, it really, really resonated deep. And so I felt that it was my duty. I mean, I have, I, I wrote the permaculture student. I got this, you know, after my PDC with Jeff Law and I got all this extra kind of one-on-one, you know, training through Skype and, uh, and email with Rosemary Morrow and Elaine Ingham, man, if you want to learn something, start talking about what you think about soil to Elaine Ingham. <laughs> And you will learn a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I learned a lot as I wrote that book. And as and what I'm really excited about is this is the first course in a series. So we're going to take this three-month course. It's 12 weeks of videos, 
coloring pages, worksheets, projects, cooking recipes, and then we're going to like focus on one plant or two plants, one or two I can't decide whether I'm going to focus on a class of plants like what, nightshades, like a family, or uh, like one plant like orange, giant, amaranth or something like that. I might change it up, but th- those kind of things. And then the second course is going to be in-depth. So we're going to have like one week or two weeks or three weeks that are just going to be focused on alternative energy um, or soil. And then the third version of this whole course, my idea is, and I've already gotten agreement from uh, certain people, is we're going to team up for modules. So that you can buy the Troy Mart's uh, gasifier solar energy, you know, off-grid power course. And so that we would have this course that Troy did with me that is geared for K through 12 audiences. Mm-hmm. And then I could do something with you or you, you yeah. know, we could, te- I could team up in such a way that I could take all these adult courses and turn them into K through 12 modules. Yeah. And yeah. really a way that it could prep these students for your course. Um, like for Perma Ethos for the grafting, uh, course, that sort of thing. Sure. And I, I tell you what I think. I think that I'm starting to see all types of ways that maybe more traditional education things could fall back into this. You know, when you were talking about all this stuff, I was thinking about all the crap that kids learn in school that we tell them and we lie to them. You're going to need this when you grow up, right? This advanced algebra or whatever. Well, unless you're going into computer programming or advanced chem or advanced accounting methods or something like that, no, you're not. But in an hour, I can teach people the practical algebra that you can use every day for the rest of your life. And, and, and then that breaks down into things like permaculture projects because people wonder how I can sit here and go, yeah, the pipe for that's going to cost me 400 bucks. And then I go down to Lowe's and, you know, it's $396 in tax. And, and how do you, how do you just know that? And it's, it's very simple algebra. And, and that, that skill of, of rapid budgeting is so valuable, whether it's your own homestead activity or like not getting ripped off by your contractor. And, and to me, like there's, there's these basic shortcuts that are algebraic, that are math based, but put a math textbook in front of me and I'm done. I haven't used that crap since 12th grade and I know I'm never going to use it. But I, my son was over here, uh, this weekend and he was sitting on the couch talking to us and he was like, There's a couple things you taught me about math I use every day. Uh, almost every day of my life, I'm using them. And, and, and my thought is, why aren't we... But see, what happens is if you teach kids that in school, you've just admitted that 90% of your curriculum is complete bullshit unless it applies to what they're going to do with their life. I did that. I got in trouble. Oh, okay. You so taught I, the I, truth I, and you're in trouble. Okay. So what I did was I, I, start, I had them start small businesses. And then like uh, what I did was I had them map out their college education costs versus what their oh, yeah. would. And so they all figured out that the careers were worthless. <laughs> and they all figured out that they needed to start small businesses. And so, yeah, it made a lot of people unhappy. Yeah, I don't want to go to college, Mommy, because I my teacher helped me figure out that I'm going to spend $225,000 for, for, for a job that, that pays $40,000 a year if I'm lucky. And that doesn't make financial sense. And you know why that makes a parent angry? Because if the kid goes home and goes, well, somebody else was successful without it, you can counter that argument. If some if a kid goes home and goes, I don't really think it's important, you can counter that argument. But when your kid comes home and lays out a financial, you know, a financial case 
that says, Mom, I don't want you to force me to put myself into $200,000 in debt for a $40,000 a year job. Of course you're pissed. You know why? You can't counter that argument. There is no, how the hell do you counter that argument? So the thing is, this occurs to us as adults now because we have, we have businesses. Yeah. And it doesn't occur to children because, hmm, they're distracted always by things that are, they're abstractions. And so they don't think to actually use math for real things because they're never allowed to use it for real things. And so my thought is when you talk about these skills about using math pragmatically, it's like, where do those skills come from? It only comes from small business, and that's a major part of my course is this idea of having kids use permaculture to show that you can create a sustainable business. Like a, like a business should be a cycle that connects in, uh, to your farm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like we're just – I don't know how to put this without just continuously beating the, this, this horse that is public ed, but if you teach a kid 10 – Solid skills, how to make a knife, um, basic woodworking, how to grow a garden, etc. Those 10 basic skills can be combined or used individually and extended to a hundred different businesses that could be built off of them. And that child, by the time they're in their 20s, can have a successful business paying them money, writing their own rules, And most of what we're doing with this education system is, is boxing them into this belief that you give me the answer and I tell you if you're right. And if you, I say you're right, you get a good grade. And if I say you're wrong, you get a bad grade where the kid literally, by the time they're a young adult, can't think independently anymore. Because if I go out and do something, where's my, where's my validation? Where's my score? Where's my grade? Where's my pat on the head? Where's my you've done well? Where's my you've done poorly so I know I've done poorly? But if we actually, if you teach someone basic woodworking and they're making a box out of wood, just say they're making a, a box frame for a raised bed and that box needs to be 36 inches wide and, and, and they don't account for the thickness of the boards, the boards don't care and the boards validate it when the thing that you were going to put on the top doesn't fit. And then you learn from that and you redo it and you have to ask yourself why. And the validation starts to come from natural feedback from the activity where we have pretty much removed every form of natural and real feedback from education. And it's a feedback of perpetual mistakes. And I was, oh, I was talking about this last night. Oh, yeah. So I know so where you're going. <laughs> even when you're a master of something, you're making microscopic, the invisible to the eye, mistakes over and over. And nothing is perfect even when a master is sculpting a sculpture. And it's just because their mistakes are and their variation. And it is only through that that we make any difference in our lives. Yeah, I want to I want just bear with me a second. I want to pull something up. Yesterday I did a show on entrepreneurship. And I put up a graphic of Steve Jobs and a quote. I'd like to get your, your thoughts on this and how it fits into what you're saying right now. Here's what he says. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life. And the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Don't settle. As with all matters of heart, you will know it when you find it. And like any great relationship, it just gets better and better over as the years roll on. So keep looking until you find it. Don't settle. I mean, I just feel like that's completely the opposite of what we're teaching kids in school. Yeah. 
Teach, school is perpetual settlement. It's teaching kids to sit still, to be obedient, to just take my word for it. And if you can't do that, we'll give you a pill, and then you'll be able to. Right. So one of my great heroes um, is John Crippo. He's like my mentor. He was one of these guys who started this school, that Minarets, uh, Minarets High that I went to. And he was constantly using um, – uh, uh, what's his name? The uh, CEO of uh, Apple, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. He's constantly using Steve Jobs as an example with quotes to inspire the kids. The uh, it was funny because he was like, it, it was awesome because the co-creator was like quoting like Chomsky about liberation, and then he was quoting like right wing, and they they were best friends, and so we had this spectrum of belief at the school. We and they were all saying the same thing about education about freeing our kids to actually have choice. And once they can follow their curiosity, they can follow their hearts, once they can identify their passions, they can put it into practice. And if they're free to actually do that, they're adults. They're young adults. See, now that's a big important thing that we, I want to come back to there because I, I missed talking about that when you brought something up earlier. You were talking about how, you know, in the past we had people who were in the Navy at age nine, um, you know, the head of units at 14 or something like that. And, what it makes me think of is like what people say now when you say we want to give students a choice and let them decide their own education is that they're not capable of that. They can't be trusted with that responsibility yet. And I think there's a, a little bit of truth to that. And it's because because we don't trust them with it, they can't be trusted with it because we don't expect it of them. They have no feeling of ability to rise up to doing that. They don't know how to do it for themselves because we've never let them. And this kind of came home to me with, you know, a really young child, uh, Patrick Rorman from MT Knives and I were talking up in West Virginia, and he said, you know, I've always kind of been on my wife that I felt she should do more for the kids when they're little than she does. And I'm like, dude, you're, you propagated like 10 kids. You don't even get to say that because I pity that woman's daily activities with 10 kids. <laughs> and he goes, no, but listen, he's like, so my littlest one drug this bag of garbage, you know, out of the house, and she's, she's heading for the, the garbage can. And she can barely drag this bag of garbage. And I'm thinking there's no way she can lift this bag of garbage up into this wheelie cart garbage thing like we have in rural communities, you know, where you wheel your garbage can out at the at, at garbage day. And uh, they're like the 95-gallon things. And it's higher than she is and how she's going to get it in there. And he wants to go outside. And his wife grabs him like, no way. Leave her alone. So she walks up to the, the garbage can, looks at it pulls it over on the ground, the top falls open, shoves the bag in, closes it, and shoves it back up. That's right. And he stands there and goes, you know, if I would have went out and helped her, I would have. she would have never figured that out. Cheated. He would have cheated her of that opportunity. She's like six. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I mean, like, can't you, can't, can't we just see that that's, that's why our children can't have self-directed learning? Because we've basically driven it out of them i mean if you start a child in a self-directed learning at five they're so far ahead of their contemporaries at 12 of course they get thrown out of school they can't have that i mean the kid knows more than the teacher right and that's the other thing is is teachers are people too and often they are so challenged these, these days because google is more powerful than they are yeah it's I think of like arguments I have with teachers about because I was like the kind of the dick of a kid, like especially like science class and all. If, she, if the teacher said something, I'm like that. That's I don't think that's true. 
<laughs> you can't prove it so they can just shut you up. But, you know, with a smartphone, if you're like, oh, look right here, MIT says you're wrong, right? I mean, that's that's hard to police, right? That's hard to control. And the sad thing is most kids don't do that. They just want to stay under the radar. And so what what I think what we need to do is we need to start giving toddlers knives and giving them, <laughs> you know, fruit to cut. And, you know, with supervision, you're not talking about knife fights for toddlers here, right? But I get what you're saying. No, but seriously, like my son inherited his grandfather's Boy Scout knife when he was four or five. Sure. And, and, and we would let him open it when we were sitting with him. And, and it was a pocket knife. And so that meant it had to be in your pocket while you were walking. And so he learned all these rules as a really young kid and, and, we would only let him use it in a certain way, and then we let him walk around with it, and we told him we trusted him that, that he would – we made sure that it was, you know, a certain level of sharpness. Yep. And you, you know what I mean? You do these things because guess what? You build up trust. You build up skills. Yeah. You build up confidence, all these different things. And it's also been statistically proven if that's your thing. You know, like some people are all into that, you know, right? So – in Denmark, I think, or Sweden, or one of those countries, uh, the socialist countries, they allow all the daycare kids to climb the trees as they want, have knives, start fires, and they have the lowest amount of childhood accidents in the world. Sure. And it's amazing how quick it happens. Like, I brought my son up, you know, teaching him firearm safety initially with a, with a BB gun. And probably about four years into it, you know, we're, we'd go to the, the rifle range and, and, and shoot skeet and what have you. And one day, his, one of his friends wanted to come with us. And I guess they're around 13 at the time. And this kid had never shot a gun before. So I'm doing some basic safety with him and all. And he finally goes ahead and takes a shot. And he starts rotating with the gun the way they will when they're, like, amazed by the power of it. And I grab the barrel and say, you can't do that. And I'm talking to him. And I see out of the corner of my eye, my son's walking to the truck. I don't know what he's doing. He comes back with a BB gun. He says, give give him that gun. You're not ready for that yet here before you shoot somebody. You need to learn what you're doing. At least this will only put an eye out. And I was like, oh, my God. But, you know, that had been driven into him. There are certain things you just don't do. And he immediately recognized, like, my friend is not at a level where he can be trusted with a firearm in his hands yet. We need to. And we did. We started doing like a remedial training, you know, rapid acceleration training program with the BB gun. But let me tell you something. We had his attention. He listened. He learned, and, you know, two more trips down the road, and I felt as safe with him holding a firearm as I did my son because the fact that his contemporary told him you're doing something stupid meant more than if I did. Absolutely. Yeah, and and that says a lot about learning and about community. And so, I mean, like that's one of the things I want to happen with my class is is the idea is that I want people to get their communities together to do these things so that – my food connects to your food. We trade seeds. We trade food. Our kids work together and build each other's swales. You know, these kind of things that were normal 200, 100 years ago, that they, these skills have been removed from us socially, all these different things, we need to take back. And that's what I feel like the, my, my, the permaculture student online really is, is about. And I feel so, like that's what this show is about. It's about taking back our, our birthright. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is our birthright. It's, it's, you know, people coming out at me sometimes for being an anarchist. I'm like, I don't, I don't think you know what that word means, but that's, that's a big part of it is that we are, we are born 
with inherent rights as beings. Mm -hmm. And we have not only had those rights taken away, a lot of those rights actually do still exist, but they've been hidden and buried and, and obscured and twisted to where we don't even recognize those rights anymore. And what you're talking about is, is forms of empowerment. And whenever you do that, especially whenever you touch a sacred cow, and, you know, public education and teachers are sacred cows. And the, the teacher is a hero thing is just so overplayed. With, with all of that in mind, have you encountered resistance or criticism to what you're trying to do? You know, in fact, um, during this school year, like, I think that um, some of the tensions that were there um, were only between me and the, uh, the school board, really. Mm. And once I had quit... Um, teachers felt like they could uh, be seen with me or something. And, <laughs> yeah, intense, right? And yeah. so I had people come come up to me and like literally embrace me for the first time like ever and be like, "You are so brave. Thank you so much for doing this. I wish I could be. I wish I could do what you're doing." And That's it's awesome because that shows me that we're we're evolving in that that space faster than in other spaces. So what I mean by that is, you know, another group that everybody's a hero in is the soldier. Every soldier is a hero until God forbid a soldier comes back from a war and says, you know, we're doing terrible things over there and we really shouldn't be involved in what this nation's doing. And we're making a huge mistake. And as a soldier, I'm telling you that. And what does everybody do? They call him a traitor, right? They immediately just start tearing up the person that they were lauding as a hero because it no longer fits with their paradigm. And I was afraid you were going to tell me something similar that once you were, you know, once you kind of were, came out as the, the insurrectionist, that now, oh, well, you were a hero, but now you're a traitor. So the fact that that's not happened, that's encouraging. That tells me that we're closer in that space to being willing to shift than we are in some others. I think that schools are really scared because they're all in debt and they're all barely making enough money and the kids are all dropping out because the parents are not caring because they can't see any value coming out of it. They can't afford paying for college. So what's the point? Um, there's just, I mean, people are looking at military trade school or just getting a job. Mm. And, and so, I mean, it's just, it's really scary. They, they, they totally know that they're dead in the water, but they're still paddling. And that's why I couldn't participate. It's well, think about all the teachers that have been there 20 years, right, that are maybe 10 years from retirement. True. And then they're going to be in retirement for 20 to 30 years. Now, where does their retirement money come from? It doesn't come from the retirement tree, right? It, it comes from future property taxes that are then assessed on to, to run the expenses of the school. And if the school starts to shrink – it's the same situation we're in if, if we don't have a high enough reproduction rate with Social Security, right? There's no longer enough money being shoved in at the bottom to pay the retiree. And everybody wants to say, you know, they work for it, they're entitled to it. I'll just shelve that and just say, I don't even care if you're right. There's the old monkey, you're right, blood from a stone. When the money's not there, the money's not there. And if you look at shifting education to largely an online self-directed model, which is where I think it should be, even in the public sector, what happens to that monstrosity of economics? And then what happens to all those people that are in the system right now? And I, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said something like, the, the surest way to make sure somebody doesn't understand something is to make sure that their livelihood depends on them not understanding it. And I think it's exactly where we're at there. Right. 
I think that um, that's probably why when I first became a teacher in California, um, I was told that I would make less money every single year. I didn't believe them because it shows on the piece of paper I'll earn more. Yeah. I was wrong. <laughs> um, as a fourth-year teacher, I was earning as much as I did my first year, and um, somehow I was paying more in um, monthly uh, fees for health care. Uh, so Obamacare didn't fix that? Oh. No. It seemed to make it incredibly worse. And then another thing I was told, I was told the second you stop teaching and you know for sure, take out your retirement because you shouldn't expect it to be there hmm. when you need it. So they're basically telling you is go ahead and take everything you can get as quick as you can get it. That's what that's what teachers are telling that's what experienced teachers are telling teachers when they come in. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's twofold there. That's that's one, it's probably the truth, but two, it also helps preserve retirements because it costs them less that way. You know, they they, they if, if you I mean that's why like when I was in the army, there was uh right after Bill Clinton took over, there was a downsizing of armed forces and they were paying guys to get out. And, you know, a guy that had been in six years and was a sergeant that hadn't made staff sergeant yet. And what, you could already look at his, his you know, his, his career and go, okay, next round of promotions, you're not going to make it again. That was called QMP or quality management. And they would, like, basically say, you should get out because under this new program, if you don't, a couple of years from now, if you don't make staff sergeant, you're going to be out with nothing. But here, we'll give you some money to leave. And yeah. they would offer them, like, you know, a $40,000 up front. Or a monthly payment for 20 years or something like that. And all of these guys that were getting out, and I mean, I'm younger than these guys because I only stayed in until I was 21 years old. And, you know, they were all going to get these, these, you know, mass payments, 40 grand. I'm like, you know, that's not going to go anywhere. Like, take the, 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 the monthly revenue. And they're like, why? And I'm like, okay, well, multiply that number by 20. And it would come out to like a couple hundred thousand dollars. And they're like, but I need the money now. I'm like, I'm like, I can't believe I'm the one telling you this, but, you could go to a bank or uh, somebody that buys out things like this, and you could probably get a hundred thousand now and sign over the payments to them. And, and none of these guys understood that because they'd gone from school to the military. And boy, you're really programmed at that point. Yeah. Yeah, te- I mean, people who are, are like new teachers and they like are just getting into it, like last year at the end of the year when I knew I was leaving. I had no idea what to say to them. You know what I mean? Because, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're like... This is going to suck. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like... I, I've got... All today, I've been getting messages from my students from public school. And they're all messaging me about how much they miss me and how they're already thinking about graduation day and trying to get me to agree that I'll be there. And it, that's what's getting them through is just getting out. Wow. It's and, cool that they want you to be there because I have to tell you, there were very few teachers that I could have given a rip about whether they were there the day I graduated or not. Very few. Yeah, I love my kids. Um, I I see them all as like my nephews and nieces. And I, man, I've had a few of them die and it's hard. Um, and you, I mean, you, you, you love those kids, especially your first three to four years teaching. Um I also think that uh, teaching is like being a politician. Um, you shouldn't do it forever. Something happens, especially with the way it's set up. That's a and good that's point. Why it's like you being like the power and like telling people what to do and not getting a feedback loop going. 
um, and not being at like skill based. So you're honoring the skill. You know what I mean? When it's like, yeah. I have the information. I'm the guy. It screws up your brain, actually. And so I think that that's why some of these people are educated for 20, 30 years. They can't even see a way around it because it's part of who they are. Yeah, you bring a good point up there. I There's people that I know that are teachers that I can't stand, and it's not really their beliefs. It's not really who they are. The reason I can't stand them is every time they talk to you, it sounds like they're talking down to you like you're freaking stupid. And it's because they've spent 15 years teaching kids that are eight years old. And they talk with this condescension. It's the same voice stewardesses used when they tell you to put your seat back up because you didn't hear them when they said it the first time. You know what I'm talking about? That voice. Yeah, so and I think it gets so ingrained in people that they just talk to you like you're an idiot. They don't mean it. It's not intentional. They don't actually think you're an idiot. But but you're you're bringing up a good point. They stay in that that profession too long, and and they also I don't think like public school teachers. I don't I'm, I'm going to get a lot of hate mail today, but I don't feel like they're in the real world because the real world is not public school, and they live inside a, a fictitious creation where everything's supposed to be equal, everybody's supposed to be nice, everybody's supposed to share, all all interactions are coerced and controlled and forced. There's almost no choice. And then they get three months a year off and, you know, they're going to get a retirement for the rest of their life. And the whole thing is a lot like Congress. You're kind of right. Like, the, you know, the, there's no reality there compared to what everybody else is doing. And people say, well, you know, they're paid so poorly. Okay, fine. I'll concede that in some places. Okay, fine. It doesn't change the structure. It doesn't change the bubble of this 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 fake world where you're surrounded by 8-year-olds all day long or you know 14-year-olds all day long or whatever level you teach at where if if you're talking more about a model where teachers either teach for a while and go to something else or teaching is one of the things that they do right so i was just thinking about what you were saying and i think it's the perpetual presence of authority so that's the greatest time period of perpetual presence of authority mm. is during public school and that's why we don't like it. And that's why it's like, and that's why they do it. And everybody with more authority is more feared, right? So when you were, I don't know about you when you were a kid, you're a little bit younger than me. When I was a kid, you almost never saw the principal. Right. And you never wanted to hear that the principal wanted to talk to you. And I was thinking the other day about how retarded that is. Like, that's like the, the supposedly the, the, the head of your school. You should want to talk to your principal, right? But the only purpose of the principal, and I don't, I'm not speaking for what happens in 2015. I don't know. When I was in school, the purpose of the principal was when you were in trouble and you were in so much trouble you weren't even going to the dean. Now you're going to the principal. You're so dead. that was the only purpose of the principal was to scare the shit out of kids. Yeah, and they should be the leader that inspires us and makes us be better. <laughs> you're talking crazy now, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> My principal at my school, the guy who quit, the guy who started the school, um, he he was like loved by everyone. His whole philosophy was rock and roll, computers, and hugs. Hmm. And so, like, he would literally put on kiss makeup and make up funny songs to make the kids just feel silly, you know, and like lighten up and realize, wait a second, we're not being judged, you know. And then they would, you know, do stuff with computers and it was this big deal especially for the mountain community giving these kids skills 
I mean, we have kids that are going down to Hollywood as, you know, digital animators that never would have had that opportunity. And so those guys did an amazing thing. Um, I want to do something amazing for more than a handful of kids each year because that's what it is in public school. Yeah. You can only reach through the curriculum judiciously. You really can't like, um, you can't inject yourself into it. And or, or if you do, that's wrong. You know what I mean? As a, like, I'm, I was like a hardcore, like public school person when it comes to like how you interact with kids. So it's like, you can't put yourself in there. So, you know, I mean, I just, there was so little inner, like way, there was so little ability for me to actually be honest, to talk about what really matters, to give the kids the information they need and to help the kids start it up in their own lives. So how are you going to make this thing not only do the things you want it to do, but also, you know, in the end, we all have to pay our bills. So how are you going to make this um, into something that is adaptable, adaptable and fiscally profitable for, you know, wherever you're, it's going to be employed? So the idea is that it's an online school and I give families access to it. And so it's one price for the whole family. Mm. And they can use it over and over again because I'm trained. I have young kids and I also have a master's in education and I did high school so I can set it up. So it's elementary, middle school and high school, but I don't use those words. I have gardener because that's where we experiment. And then I have designer because that's where we plan. And then I have terraformer because that's where we do the action. <laughs> Love it. And so those are the levels. And that's why I like, I mean, adults have actually requested that I include them because they, um, they want something that's crystal clear and easily, easily graspable so that they can quickly move on to the skill side of things. So they, they can understand the concepts, understand the principles and move on. Um, I, and I understand, I mean, have you read permaculture designers manual? Oh, I've read parts of it. I, I know two people in the world who have actually sat down with that damn thing and read it from cover to cover, and I don't understand those people. I just hey, don't. It's I read it once, and I'm reading it a second time, line by line. Good for you. You're one of the two people, by the way. Oh, darn. Forward, right? <laughs> so I don't understand that. I I can't read. That's like trying to read the. Actually, I would rather read an, uh, you know the 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 B uh, issue of the encyclopedia than try to read the PDM straight through. I refer to it. I use parts of it when I'm engaging in design decisions. I look up things in it I, and I think about it. And when I'm going through PDC coursework or I'm designing uh, uh, something for students here on my property, I'll say, well, what component of the PDM applies to the way I'm setting up this whale integration system? And I'll, I'll refer back to it. And maybe I'll read a couple pages. And I mean, to, to put it in perspective, like, When, when Mollison wrote that, his intention was for a sentence to be like reading a paragraph yep. and a paragraph to be like reading a page and a page to be like reading a book. So if you read 400 pages in that thing, to take it in, it's like reading 400 books. And the illustrations alone will break your brain if you look at it. So I don't, I don't get how you – I guess your point is my point. So how do you take that and make it crystal clear for people, right? <laughs> well, at NYU, I was – I did – British and American literature. And so they made me wade through painful stuff 
um, for many years and I actually skipped out on, you can see my transcript on, uh, I skipped out on certain like semesters and then mm-hmm. just played music and took bad grades and then came back and then did them again. Yeah. Um, my, the thing was my freshman year, I got to New York city and like all these bands were like, come tour with us. And I was like, dad, can I go tour? I like, son, <laughs> please don't say things like that and go back to studying. Yeah. And so, you know, I made an agreement with my dad that I would hang around and do the NYU dance. And I did. And it was so boring. And a lot of it was completely irrelevant. But it gave me the ability to take really dull things. Like, I've read, you know, lots of James Joyce. I did my colloquium on Shakespeare. You know what I mean? Like, I've done the nerd thing. And then I was a professional musician and I just like compartmentalized that and threw it away somewhere in my head. But the skills never left me because they, the, the ability to analyze and translate, um, is an actual skill. Um, they don't really teach that in school until you, you know, you go into a specific, uh, specific thing in, in, in college. But, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I used to read old dictionaries. I love words. I was locked up in my room at night at 7.30 at night, every night as a child, um, even when it was light out. And we had thousands of books. And if I made noise, my parents, you know, it was back in the day, so they would spank us. And I didn't like that. So I read a lot. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> I guess so. I did too, but I mean... There's, I guess there's things I read, you know, cover to cover that people, you know, like the the authoritative uh, encyclopedia of, of reptile species or something where, you know, I and I did that when I was like 14. Wow. Uh, so I guess it all depends on what you're interested in. But I love permaculture. And anyway, but I, I think the point is that not everybody can sit down and read something like that, but they want they want the, the Cliff Notes version, I guess, uh, of what applies to what they want to do right now. Right. And I think that's the thing is everyone wants their food prices to go down because food prices are going through the roof right now. Everyone wants food that they can prove from home that's clean. They want, I mean, we want our, our homes to cost less money and electricity. This is becoming a huge issue in areas where we are getting extreme heat. Um, and I mean, I water in such a way that it cools my house. I, I turn off the AC and I just open the windows and put on the fans and the evaporation from my garden literally goes through the windows and it's unreal feeling. So we all can do it. Um, and even in, in, a, in an apartment, I mean, you just had Toby on. I, I filmed him at the uh, Petaluma Seed Bank talking about this. We can do it in every climate. We can do it in every living situation for a person. You've been growing mushrooms and then in that substrate you can be growing, you know, nightshades near a window. You can do anything. So it's time. I mean, we talk, I mean, you talk about it in your show. I mean, I talk about it with so many of the people I know. They talk to me about it. I see it on Facebook. The world itself is mismanaged from the way we've designed our roads to cars to governments to public education systems. We need to do the prime directive. So we need to take the only ethical decision is to take responsibility for ourselves and our families and to make it now. Right. So we need to adopt that into everything we do and to start being uncompromising. I mean, I'm never going to be putting my son in school. 
Um, and if he wants to, he can go to school. Sure. But I will never do it. Um, and he, I mean, I've never taught him how to play music, but he can play piano better than me, play drums better than me. He's almost as good as me on guitar, and he's eight. And it's because I created Habitat, and I surrounded by people who are positive and open and play music. And because of that, he just picks it up as a language. And well, it, it is was, a language, isn't it? <laughs> and so is permaculture. And so is permaculture. Yes, it is. It's yes, the language it of nature. And we are nature. So it's natural for us to love it, to learn it, and to be good at it. And so I just think that we need to connect as many people as possible to the soil and do it in a family context because I believe that is the deepest context of learning because all of our family memories um, are the things we hold on to longest. Are there other people doing things like this that you've seen or are there other schools that are already doing things like this? You know, What have you seen of this type of thinking outside of what you're doing? There are people who are trying to um, reshape permaculture to fit into um, – to Common Core and to colleges and all these different things. And I'm reminded, and the reason I'm doing my my way and I'm modeling it after Jeff, really, um, and combining it with what I do, is because of what Bill said. I mean, Bill said it best when he said, if the colleges get a hold of permaculture, they'll dice it up and separate it out, and it will kill the ability for it to be effective. Mm-hmm. It's a generalist science. And we don't have enough generalists, and that's what, 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 you know, this course really is about. It's about building a core of general skills that every human needs. There's a thing that Jeff was working on, and I think he put some people on it, and somebody contacted me, and it's like one of those things where I just don't have time to it. I wonder what the status of it is now, but it was basically like putting together a book that was a thousand things that every child should know by the time they're 18. He was saying, we were talking on the air, and I said something about, you know, like a constant is that water flows at right angle to contour. And he's like, that's what I'm talking about for this book. Like, that's a constant. That always happens. And if you know that and you know what it means, there's a million decisions you can make intelligently because you know that one thing. And there's like these th- – and he's like, I don't even know what the thousand core things are. But we need to come up with that and have this book that is completely adaptable, completely universal. You can translate to any language and say if your kids learn this, they're going to know what the hell's going on when they're 18 years old. Right. And, 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 you know, Jeff is writing a book. Okay. <laughs> I, I got him to talk I, I, on my podcast. I, ha, I, I got him to talk a little bit about it. Um, but he, uh, he does it visually. And so he actually creates these huge maps on the ground of his ideas with little cards and everything. So, um, he's, he's hard at work on, it. I'm really excited to see what, what it's about. I, I don't know if it's going to be the thousand things. I mean, maybe that's what those were. Well, it, what he had is he had a group of people like, you know, he had the forum mm-hmm. in, inside his PDC, and it right. was like an invite-only board, and I got invited to it. I never did anything with it, and that was the first version of that I think he changed the site or something. Um, so I don't know if that ever went anywhere, but that's that's one of those things that maybe we could all contribute to and, 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 and come back around to, um, hopefully without stepping on any toes. But I don't think anybody would care if there were two such wonderful, masterful books. Maybe that's something I think, I think ESP could do, you know? The more the merrier. I, I really do believe that because guess what? If I mean, what in nature, it's comp- competition really is cooperative um, progression. So 
you, you come next week and, and you, I see that you've done this great thing with your front lawn. I feel like competitive and I do it to my front lawn. It actually makes me better. Or if you're selling more oranges because you have been using compost tea and I'm like, oh, I should start doing that. I mean, those are beneficial. So I think that um, there's two different types of cooperation. And I think that there's the zero, th- zero sum cooperation, which is um, the negative side of the word capitalism that you were talking about the other day, not the positive side, which is ecology. Um, <laughs> capitalism is ecology, um, that to me at least. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you there. Yeah. I think that there's like what separates human beings from being natural in their environment is only ethics, right? Like we can think at a higher level and we can do things that no other species on this planet can do. We can design we, ecosystems. Yeah. We can destroy or we can, we can create, right? There, there's no other being on this planet that can literally destroy all life on the planet if it chooses to. And there's none that can actually enhance all life on the planet it chooses to. Human beings as a species can do those two extremes. And that's so, why we have religion. Right? So, yeah. So there has to be an ethics. And that's why I think permaculture starts with the three ethics. And that's why some people that have said that maybe we don't even need to worry about that. I'm like, no, that's – without that as your guiding restriction, you can go evil really, really fast without knowing you're doing it. But if you're always checking yourself, does this hurt anybody? Does this hurt the earth? And does this system return surplus back to itself to make it, you know, regenerative? And if it matches those three, then you're not going to break anything. Right. And you're also going to make money. On the air when I did the intro segment today, but we had a, a thing on the intro segment today about how the Native Americans burned out the forests. And Alex's take on that was that that's not natural. And I'm like, I don't know that it's not natural. I think it's completely natural because it was actually regenerative. It wasn't even sustainable. It was, it was literally regenerative. It was ex- extending the life of the forests and it was damaging nothing in reality because sooner or later nature uses fire. It was controlling it and timing it and man interacting with his environment in an ethics based quantification. We need to, we need to make sure there's enough for everybody and we need to make sure things are returned back to where they came from. And that kind of balance is what enables human beings to be native to the planet instead of being what we are now, which is more like a virus to the planet. And if people know I'm not like an eco-hippie tree hugger or anything, I'm just talking about our intrinsic behaviors. We're doing things that are breaking shit, and we could be doing things that are not only making things, again, sustainable, but actually regenerating and creating life. And, and if we would just teach one generation how to do that again... What they would do would make us look completely incompetent. I'm convinced of that. I'm, you know, I, I think you've probably heard Bill and, and Jeff both say that their students move faster than them. I agree, and that's why we have to start with children because if we want to make this happen fast, we need to educate the kids because they are the spark of humanity. I mean, they are the next generation. They are the thing that motivates all the adults to go to work and do all this stuff. I mean, there's no purpose to life if there's not a next generation because then we all die. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And they're not afraid to mess up either until we teach them to be afraid to mess up. And that's why they advance so quickly if you get out of their way. I mean, when I was a kid, like nobody in my family cooked worth a damn. And nobody would – once I moved back to Pennsylvania, my grandparents, my grandmother would cook deer meat and stuff like that. But my mother wouldn't touch anything that came out of the the trees or the forest or the, the, the lake or whatever. So I had to learn to cook myself. I'm not going to say I didn't mess a bunch of stuff up, 
But I also ended up with a lot of stuff that was really awesome. And there was no Google, right? You didn't Google a recipe for freaking bullhead catfish. You, you, you figured it out. Like you looked it up in Outdoor Life magazine how to gut a fish, right? So you learned, you did it. And then you cooked it and you were like, oh, that was really mushy. So you start talking to people and they go, yeah, you cooked it too long, you know, and you, you learn how to do these things, but it's because you don't care if you fail. But what we teach kids today is like, failing's bad. Right? It's like, it's like you screwed up because you failed. Well, you can't learn anything without failing. Yeah. So remember when that first, that, remember that first pancake or that first like, Oh yeah. <laughs> made? It was so ugly, but man, you were so proud and you were like, it tasted so good because you made it, even though that, that fish was mushy. It, it, and, and that's the reality. It's like all perspective. And in school, it's like, that's a C and you're like, I spent all night with my grandma building this paper mache thing. How can it have a grade? Yeah. Yeah. Or it makes me think I had uh, – if you, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk or not. I had him on the show years ago, mm-hmm. and I was talking about you know, corporate America is trying to figure out what the ROI is on Facebook by interacting with your customers. Where's the ROI? And he said, what's the ROI on your grandmother? Right? He said, that's how you have to think. When you're actually engaging with people at a personal level, you're not looking for what the profit is. You're looking for what the value is. And, and, and that's, that's what this type of education to me is. We're, we're focusing on the value rather than the quantifiable because I think people struggle with, you know, well, if everything's so terrible with the way we do things, why do we do them that way? So everything can be quantified. If I can quantify it, I can judge it, I can grade it, I can charge for it, I can tax it, and I can control with it. Everything you're talking about is very difficult to quantify. You mentioned Toby, uh, Toby Hemingway. Th- th- that's very much what he's saying with liber- liberation permaculture. It, by doing all of these things that are very, very productive but not quantifiable, you kind of have a loophole there for tax because how do you tax the yield of a, of a fruit tree? You know, that, that's just growing on a piece of property and it looks like every other tree on the property. It's not an orchard. It's not in rows. You don't have a specific yield per acre of apricots to, to tax or whatever. To have this kind of natural system, it has to be non-quantifiable, but yet you know the value anyway. Like, you might not be able to come onto my property and understand what the, what, what is the economic yield of that three quarter acre food forest that we put in, which would be not very much right now. But when you walk through it and you see the diversity and you start to realize what it produces and you start thinking about the medicinals, the food, the habitat, you know the value. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think that, that, that skill of reading the landscape itself, you know, it has been lost. And that's part of, that's, that's another aspect of the course. That's why we're doing pattern literacy and doing coloring pages is because, I mean, if you look at cultures throughout time, we've always used patterns and we've always used nature as the, as the original pattern that we base things off of. Yeah, you don't think people care about patterns. I'll tell you what, why are a gang switch where you have like five light switches in a row? So that one's down when the other ones are up and watch how many people are irritated by it, right? It's, yeah. it, but if you, if you did it back and forth, then it would be okay, right? We, we intrinsically as humans seek patterns because nature builds on patterns. If you cut a tree open, you see a pattern. If you cut a banana stalk open, you see a pattern. If you cut an apple apart, you see a pattern. If you look at how a tree grows, you see a pattern. A river flows into a pattern. There is, there is nothing in nature that's not patterned. Because to me, nature is mathematics and music. That's what it is. It is an expression of that from the, I mean, we're going a little bit deep there, but like we should be going that deep with our kids because we think kids won't understand that. 
They do. But I think I think I can I can explain what I was just about. I I, I can't really go into it because we'll be here for twenty more minutes just on that. But <laughs> but I think I can explain that better to a twelve year old that hasn't been fully indoctrinated yet than I can explain it to a thirty five year old. Right. And it's really deep. It's really spiritual, and it's really deep into the the, the both like the metaphysical and the the physics at the same time, the, the hard science and the soft science at the same time. And, and a 12 year old will get it. The, the, right. the universe is music. The martial arts are music. Right. And you know, I feel that a lot of this is so sacred and that's why it, it is so fortunate that this turned out this way that we're doing the permaculture student online because this allows for families to introduce these ideas in a way that they feel confident about that they can share to their young kids so that they're like doing things and they can refer to something. Because I mean, for me, these skills were written out of my life. And I know that my great grandparents and my great great grandparents, I mean, on both sides of my family, there was uh, my wife's side and my side, we were living, you know, on Native American territory uh, on reservations. And we don't know why, but we know that like they had skills and they were, you know, there's no official idea of like what they did for work. There's all, you know what I mean? But, it, but they, we have these artifacts of them. Like one of them was a painter. Um, but they painted on cardboard only. Um, and they apparently built things. Um, and so th- th- this her- this heritage, um, we can all participate in. We have these skills that are inside of us and that we have this history of, but they've been removed from us. And I want to bring those back. And I know you want to bring those back. And that's what this show is about. And I feel like we're part of a movement of people. I feel like we are not alone. And I and homeschooling, it, I feel, is a big part of it, too. We're taking back what is our own responsibility because we're the only people qualified to handle it. Our kids are our responsibility, our land. It's not an HOA. It's not state government. It's not federal government's responsibility. It is our responsibility, and that's why it's all messed up, because we've given away that responsibility, and we need to take that back. I, I, I completely agree with that. So where can people get involved with what you're doing now? What's actually available at this point? You can enroll today and, just, and start September 15th with me. We'll have weekly Q&A. It's set up very much like Jeff's course, except there's a lot more things that are tailored to kids. So there's a teacher's guide that shows you different levels, different critical thinking. There's um, literally worksheets that you fill out um, that, that, that are designed to, you know, help kids in a homeschool, uh, you know, atmosphere. So if you go to the permacultureStudent.com, you can read all about it under the shop section. It's at the top. You can click on the course and you can buy it as a, a monthly or you can buy it as all three months. And we're going to be stopping and rolling, I think, the day before. So there's a little bit of a time crunch. So if you get it in there soon, you'll be for sure in the class. And my books are about to be uh, released as hard copies. I'm expecting to get them. Uh, September 10th or 11th or 12th in that time frame. And I'll be putting that up on the website under the shop on per- the permaculturestudent.com. And that'll be available. And I mean, like that's what's available now. There's actually videos on there. I'm doing, I'm doing the Jeff Lawton thing where I'm having a, a videos hosted on there too, 
where uh, I just talk about uh, the front, like front yards, sheet mulching. Because a lot of people's front yards are you can't dig into them. And then I talk about how Baker Creek is one of our sponsors and providing us with all these seeds. So there's a lot of fun things in there that people can check out. Very, very cool. And I'll make sure I have a link to um, permaculturestudent.com and, and down right into where they can sign up for the permaculture student online course, which is uh, 175 bucks for three months. One seventy five for one month, four fifty for three months. Okay, okay. I was gonna say that's really low. Okay, I still think it's a hell of a value. I mean, what you can teach a kid with that in three months is, is pretty amazing. And you can use it over and over again. It's set up for high school through kindergarten, so high school is pretty advanced for most adults sometimes. Um, so it's going to be involved, and it's gonna have skills that everyone needs. So. I think people will find it useful no matter who they are. I can see, like, you know, probably homeschool families using this for every every child in their household. So that kind of knocks the price down because normally you'd have to buy one for Susie and, you know, Tom's five years old or so, so one for Tom, a different course. So this Absolutely. is like an, a, applicable to all. And, again, like you said, used over and over, so you have more kids. Or I, I know there's people right now that also do things like, you know, Every like ten kids go to to Jane's house one day a week, and then they all go to to Mary's house one day a week, and then they all go to Frank's house the next day, and and that way they they have a different parent kind of leading the group every day. And I could see a parent using that for a group as well. I'm sure you wouldn't have a problem with that. Absolutely not. I want. I mean, that's essentially a permaculture life school. It's essentially what I was trying to start, but they're doing it for themselves, and they're doing it by choice, which is much more powerful. Well, and you're, you're tapping into existing infrastructure because kind of what you tried to do was create a school like the school you left in some ways with a different philosophy and all. But it was a building everybody came there that you know, and then there was an expense to that building where homeschoolers have this massive, growing, expanding infrastructure that they're creating using the assets they already have. So generally, they don't go out and find a building to rent. You know, they use somebody's home or somebody has a farm and the, the, the barn has power and they, you know, they convert that into a classroom. Or if they do rent a space, because a lot of them live in more rural areas, they can rent space for almost nothing. Or they find a guy that has some property and he says, oh, you want to use, you know, a room for that? Yeah, just do it. And, and, and there's more and more of that happening as more and more people get involved in it. And so I think that you, you can tie into that infrastructure and you're just providing Material that works just as well for you know the kid that wants to do it on his own and says, "Mom, can you get this for me?" Yeah, and and that's it's setups to be self directed for um, people who are self teachers in middle school and high school, uh, but it's also set up so that you can help small children. That's awesome, and I like that you have coloring in there. I I took uh, some natural health courses um, at a time that I kind of flirted with going and, and getting a basically a degree in, in, in naturopathy, and I decided it wasn't for me. But, you know, one of the courses was anatomy. And anybody that's ever taken college-level anatomy, you know, they always have that one anatomy book that's basically you get a bunch of colored pencils and you color every muscle a different color and, you you know, you, you have the breakdown of the heart. You cover And you're just basically coloring all of the, the pieces and parts to see the pattern revealed. I didn't know that's what it was at the time, but I have to tell you, Yeah, I was, you know, my 20s, but I had fun coloring. Absolutely. You mentioned that adults can color. I mean, yeah, I think if you want to have fun, 
Find find an eight year old and sit down and color at a coloring book with them. You'll you you you'll learn a lot from them too. <laughs> oh yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I'm glad I, I'm glad I did today, Matt. I actually didn't realize how far along you were with all of this, so uh, I'm happy to try to send some people today at the end of the show uh, to uh, to take a look at the permaculturestudent.com and consider getting your kids enrolled in this, especially you homeschoolers out there. I know there's a massive contingent of homeschool families in TSP and. Uh, like Matt said, you know, he's, he's trying to make a living with this, but he's also not trying to be totalitarian and in control and license things to you the way Microsoft does. So if you can put together a group in your area and share one of these courses, the more the merrier, right? Yes. We got to get this out there. I mean, it's got to be a lift. We've got to get every person we can to start doing this and get their kids involved. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to take this course myself, even though I'm not a kid. Oh yeah. wow! Okay, heck yeah! Yeah, I'll 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 be along for the ride to see what you've done, and I'm gonna again make a recommendation that those of you with kids out there that that want to get them uh, to a higher level of understanding of the world itself, not just permaculture, uh, consider doing the same. And again, Matt, thanks for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much. It's been an honor. And with that, folks, uh, we'll close up the interview. And, uh, again, thank you to Matt for being here today. Uh, signing off a little bit differently today because I am kind of jazzed that Cole Reisner will be playing uh, in October. And I want to share another piece of his music with you. So instead of ending with the revolution as you like we usually do today, this will be one of those days where I throw a different song in at the end. Uh, this is a really cool song. doesn't really have anything to do with today's show, but I, I really like it. It's called Hold, and it's another original uh, piece from Cole Reisner. Check out his website, too, when you get a chance and uh, enjoy a little bit different ending today.
heard is this one I think she watches me cry just for fun She may not have a heart You tell me to 